My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich one, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Hope you all are doing well. Um, again, like Michael said, my name is Tyler. I'm glad he threw the chess player comment in there. Um, I, I don't know, I'm not saying Somerville is a big chess playing church, but all I'm saying is that the six people I play chess against, against in Boston, and five of them all go to this church. So, and they're all decisively better than me too. Um, I used to play Michael a lot, but he's beaten me like four times in a row, and I was like, I'm, I'm done. Um, but uh, glad to be back with you all. I think I was here uh, a few months ago. I'm good to be back. Uh, if you're not, I just want to say be something that is kind of brings about some anxiety or some unknowns or some questions. So just super glad you're here. Um, and if you're new again, we've been going through the book of James um, the past few weeks, and we're going to be kind of going through the book of James throughout the whole summer. Uh, and James is kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. That's what some people call it, because it has tons of practical wisdom and practical instruction in it. And so far, we've heard some really wise things, and we're only a few weeks in, right? In James 1, we're told to count it all joy when we face trials, because testing for faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness is for our own good. Later on in the chapter, he encourages us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That definitely sounds like a proverb. And then in verse 22, which I think you guys covered last week, is kind of um, James' central argument to his book, you could argue, right? Where he tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so this kind of sets the tone for the rest of the book, right? That one thing, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Everything you read from now on could be read with that kind of lens, you might notice we're kind of switching the order this week, um, so we're just doing 1 through 13 in chapter 2, and then next week, Pastor Mike Hong, he'll be coming and he'll be doing um, verses 26 and 27, so I'm just going to read that real quick, just so we have an idea what was said right before. 26 and 27 in chapter 1 says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, his religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so this is right before our passage, and it leads us right into our text where James says to show no partiality. 
As I was thinking about this text this week, um, a few just examples and thoughts came to my mind. I want to think about this in my own life. Um, so a, a few years ago, I was in a community group at Brookline, um, and we were really close, right? This was a really good group of friends. Um, some of my best memories in Boston, best times in Boston, best friends in Boston kind of revolve around these people. And as I look back and I kind of thought about how we were so close, it, it kind of occurred to me that we were all in the same stage of life, right? We all were kind of the same, right? We were all young professionals, uh, not too far removed from college. Um, there were no kids in the group, right? There was a married couple or two, but they had no kids. They were still relatively young. Um, and so that enabled us to spend a lot of time together. We did things like fun CG retreats. We went on vacations together. We just spent a lot of time together. Um, and maybe more than that, we kind of related to each other in the same way, right? Like the, the way we connected with each other, the way we expressed love and care and compassion was all the same, right? We were all very similar. And these were, these were genuine relationships, um, but we were all kind of the same people in some way. And I remember one person in particular joined the CG well after the CG had been established. Um, and she didn't fit that mold. But she wasn't a young professional. Um, she wasn't really in the same stage of life we were. She didn't like to do the same things that we like to do. She didn't connect in the same way. So you can imagine how hard it was for her to kind of jump into that. You can imagine how hard it was when we kept doing the very things that she didn't like to do over and over and over again as a CG. Right? And to her credit, she did try to join in. She did try to uh, come alongside us as we did the things that she didn't like to do. And, and, and even more than that, she actually tried to invite us into the very things that she liked to do. She tried to invite us as a CG into the, thing, the way that she connected with other people. But as I look back, we didn't really take her up on that. We didn't really stretch in any way to try to include her. No one really joined into things when she invited anyone. And eventually, she stopped coming to the things that we invited her to. We were partial towards each other. And there are a number of other factors at play, but eventually she ended up leaving the church. I think of another scenario um, back when Code Brookline just started. Um, there was a, as a black woman who walked into church, and at this point, um, Coa was really far off the mark for being a, a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. She walked in first week, came in, sat down, listened to the service, worshipped. No one said a word to her. Got up, left. Week two, she comes back comes in, sits down, worships. No one says a word to her. Leaves. Week three, comes back. Finally, someone talks to her. Another black woman comes up, says hello, and they talk about how no one's talked to either of them. They worship. They get up. They leave. Week four, finally, someone comes and talks to them, says hello. And this person loved our church. She, she stuck around. Um, she served our church really well. She was a really beloved member, really mature Christian, walked with the Lord really well. And she told us this story eventually, and she said, this, this, like, this really hurt. This sucked. And again, there are other factors at play, but she eventually left the church too. So in other words, when we consider these two examples, I think it shows us that partiality is not some small petty thing. It's not some minor thing. What these two instances point to, what I think James is kind of getting at, is that partiality is more dangerous than you think. It's kind of our main point, main takeaway for today. Partiality is more dangerous than you think. The Greek word used for partiality translates as receiving the face, which I know that sounds kind of weird, but it's just this idea of you judge something at face value and then you act on that. A lot of other translations use the word favoritism. Some use discrimination. 
My favorite translation poses it as like a really hard-hitting question. It's really convicting. It says, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people against others? And to make sure his readers understood what exactly he meant, James gives us an example. Verses 2 through 4. Right, he paints this picture of, of two men kind of entering this Christian gathering. We're not sure if it's like a house church or, or a, you know, a church like this or just something different, but two men enter into the gathering. One of them is a poor man. They know this probably from his clothing, right? Shabby clothing, maybe it's torn up, maybe it's dirty, maybe it smells. The other man is the opposite of that. He probably looks put together. Probably presume he's rich. He had a Gucci belt on or something. He's wearing a gold ring. Back then, that signified wealth. And the Christians, in this example, they go out of their way to serve the rich man. Right? They offer him one of the best seats in the house, and they pay attention to him. And they hardly pay attention to the poor man. You know, maybe the, maybe the poor man, he, he walked in, and he kind of comes, and he, and he stands in the back, and he's kind of he's just waiting for someone, anyone, to say hello. And they eventually do, but look what it says. They tell him to stand off to the side. They tell him to sit down at my feet, which is something servants would have done back then. So the Christians in this example, without knowing anything about either man, other than what they were wearing, make distinctions. And based off of those distinctions, they serve one rather than the other. And I think most of us can understand that, right? This is an example written 2,000 years ago, but we don't have to bend over backwards to understand that. This kind of happens today in some way, shape, or form, and made in that exact way. All right, so this example certainly applies to us, but to extend it a little further, just another one. Two people walk into church, both are holding cups of coffee, and one of them, maybe she's a high-ranking executive at a company, a VP in, in the field that you either want to go into or you're into, and you know this person, this person can, can kind of pay dividends for your career. Right, this person knows their way around your field, and it's a great connection to have. The other person that walks in is someone that's been um, a member at this church for years. Maybe they're in commu- they're, you're a community group. And they always kind of talk about the same things. Right? They always kind of talk about their same struggles. They always ask you to pay, pray for their mom's best friend's sister's dog. Right? You, know this person's, you know this person's overly anxious. And you just know how the conversation is going to go when you talk with them. So these two people walk into church. Who are you more likely to engage with? Who are you more likely to spend time with? James is really concerned about this kind of thing happening. Because remember, partiality is more dangerous than you think. So just a few things to consider in light of that that are going to kind of guide our time today. We're going to hit two desires and three dangers. Two desires and three dangers. Two desires will uh, answer the question, why are we inclined to be partial in the first place? Three dangers, we'll look at the dangers of partiality and answer the question, why is it wrong? Two desires, three dangers. Earlier in chapter 1, James tells us that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Focus on that first part. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So when it comes to partiality, it begs the question, what desire is luring and enticing us in these moments? When we're tempted to be partial or favorite some people over others, what desire is enticing us? There are a lot of good right responses to 
this, but I'm going to hit on two really broad ones. The first is comfort, and the first is kind of self-gain, advancement. Comfort and self-gain. Comfort. So in the example with, with my CG earlier, uh, we were partial towards each other because we were comfortable with each other. We didn't want to leave our comfort zone. We didn't uh, want to uh, change the way we related to each other, change the way we related to other people because it was uncomfortable to do so. We didn't want to try very hard to help someone else feel welcome. And being partial towards each other, we were really seeking the comfort that that provided. So then the question is, is it possible that you surrounded yourself with people, have been partial to people that look like you and talk like you, just to remain comfortable? And not only do we seek comfort, we seek to avoid discomfort. We don't want to be uncomfortable. So in our partiality towards others, we're attempting to avoid the things that make us uncomfortable. Being partial to avoid discomfort, to avoid suffering, to avoid trials. If you're here first week, you know that James encourages us to count it all joy when we meet trials, right? So that begs the question, well, what if we could view the fight to show no partiality as a trial? Doing life with others you normally don't vibe with, that can be a trial for you. Doing life with others who don't look like you, don't act like you, that can be a trial for you. And Scripture nowhere tells us to run from these trials. Scripture nowhere tells us to run from this testing of our faith. In fact, it's the opposite. Run towards it. Lean into it. Why? Because these things draw you closer to the Lord? Because these things help you care for other people better? The second desire to consider is self-gain kind of advancement. Right, so in James' example in verses 2 through 4, it's kind of safe to assume that the Christians who were favoring the rich man, they probably thought they'd get something back from him. Right? They'd probably uh, thought that there was some sort of gain to be had, some sort of favor to be had from the rich man, whether it was money, status, influence. They probably thought, I can gain something by serving and engaging and caring for this kind of person. They thought serving the poor or serving the rich at the expense of the poor was in their best interest. In the example of the high-ranking executive that we talked about and the somewhat needy church member, right? The Christian navigating this scenario is probably certainly tempted to engage with the high-ranking executive. Right? Think about you and, and your field, right? You, you want to make it to a certain point and this high-ranking person comes in. Are you going to talk to them or are you going to talk to the person where you have the same conversation over and over again? With one person, there's clearly some form of self-benefit. I think ultimately what's going on in our hearts here is not necessarily what we do or don't do in these scenarios, but rather valuing people for the wrong reasons, for what they can give you. And honestly, when you get down to it, it's viewing people as objects. And what's happening in these instances is our desires are disordered. Or Augustine uses the phrase, disordered loves. Right? Our love for the person is disordered, and we put what they have the ability to give us ahead of them simply being a human made in the image of God, worthy of value, respect, and dignity, worthy of care and attention for that alone. One commentator speaking of this said, The improper division being made among the visitors in James 2 in the assembly is nothing more than a reflection of the improper divisions harbored in the minds of believers. The improper divisions being made among the visitors 
is no more than a reflection of the improper divisions harbored in the mind of believers. So in other words, it's a bigger problem than just honor and dishonor. It's improper valuing and devaluing of people in your mind and heart. And ultimately, ultimately, when you really boil down the issue to one thing, we are told to show no partiality, not as a simple rule, but as a reflection of the heart of God, a reflection of the character of God. And I think it's easy for us to fall into the trap that, that, that uh, this kind of thing, this area of our life, our relationships, who we engage with, who we're friends with, we like to think that we're in charge of that. We like to think that we get to call the shots entirely. Right? I would argue it's, most, it's not most people's natural disposition to be like, God, who do you want me to spend time with? Most people aren't naturally asking or examining their life, God, who are you putting in front of me right now that I maybe don't like, but you want me to engage with? We don't typically ask those questions. Rather, it's who do I get along with? Who's like me? Who makes me comfortable? Who can I be in a relationship with where I don't have to try? Or rather, who can I be in a relationship with that can give me something? So that's the desires within partiality. Comfort and self-gain. And James used the rest of the passage, verses 5 onward, to really remind us of the dangers within partiality. He reminds us what's wrong with partiality. I'm going to read verses 5 through 13 just one more time. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So here we see James going to great lengths to really prove the point that partiality is a serious sin. I kind of wonder if, if James' original audience, maybe this partiality was happening and, and maybe they kind of had this thought, maybe, maybe I shouldn't do that, but, but they probably maybe didn't think it was a sin. James spends like seven verses talking about how this is a big deal. James spends a lot of time proving the point that partiality is more dangerous than you think. So we're going to hit three things that tell us partiality is dangerous. Three things. Um, partiality is dangerous because it goes against God, it goes against others, and it goes against the law. So those three things, and then we'll wrap up. God, others, and the law. First, partiality goes against God and the way God values others. We can see this all over Scripture. There are plenty of examples of this. Right? Consider how God chose King David. Samuel, God's prophet, is tasked with, with going and finding this new king for Israel, and he connects with this man named Jesse, and Jesse has like 25 million sons. And 
uh, each son comes up in front of Samuel, and, and the first few, Samuel is like, you are a tall, handsome man. Surely you're it. Surely you're the one God's chosen. But God literally says to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. He must have been really tall. Kind of knocks me out of the running. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And every time Jesse kept bringing another one of his sons to Samuel to see if he'd be king or not, God kept swiping left. Nope, nope, nope. Until finally, finally Samuel was like, is, is there anyone else? Is this it? Maybe God was wrong. But then Jesse, not even thinking about his younger son, youngest son as, as a valid option, says, well, I have my son David. He's the youngest. He's in the field. He's a shepherd. I don't, I don't know. Samuel says, bring him to me. So David, after presumably some sort of long day of work, maybe smelly, sweaty, disgusting, appears in front of Samuel, and this is God's choice. Another example that always gets me is the story of Leah in Genesis 1. Sorry, Genesis 29. I keep wanting to say Leah. I've been watching Obi-Wan Kenobi lately, but it's Leah. So if I say Leah, I apologize in advance. See, I'm already tripped up now. Leah's father uh, was a man who, uh, he tricked um, this man named Jacob into marrying Leah. Leah. <laughs> See, I'm not doing that purpose. Leah. And, and Jacob wanted to marry Leah's sister, Rachel. Right? And Jacob served seven years to marry Leah's sister, Rachel. And Leah's father tricked him. And Leah was on the receiving end of some of these things we've been talking about. People were partial towards other people, not her. Genesis 29 says that, that Leah was hated. But then verse 31, chapter 29, it always gets me. It says, The Lord saw that Leah was hated, and he opened her womb and gave her a child. In other words, God saw that Leah was hated and had compassion on her. Yes, because God loved her, but because we serve an impartial God. And ultimately, look at Jesus, right? God in the flesh. God came down to earth, became a human, lived a perfect life, died the death that you and I deserved, rose from the dead. Look at who he hangs out with. God in the flesh hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. Our Lord is not partial. So partiality is dangerous because it goes against God. The second reason James tells us partiality is dangerous is because it goes against others. This is surely something you've picked up on already. Some of the examples we've given, you can see how people are hurt by partiality. In particular, James mentions that partiality dishonored the poor man. Then he also goes on to mention that it is literally illogical that you are serving and are partial towards the rich man. So again, it's not that you chose to honor someone, but it's that you chose to honor someone at the expense of dishonoring another. Right? Partiality doesn't just look bad on you. It costs someone else. Your favoritism comes at a cost, and it's not just between you and God. My favoritism comes at a cost. It's not just between me and God. It hurts someone else too. And some of you here, no doubt, you probably read a text like this, and, and you certainly agree, yeah, we shouldn't be partial, but you probably know you're on the receiving end of this. Maybe you feel like the poor man that's told to kind of stand off to the side. Maybe you uh, have just continuously felt 
like an outcast in some way, shape, or form, whether it's at community group or Sunday mornings, whether it's at work. Maybe you've had experiences in the church where you've just felt like Christians have favored other people over you. And here's the main thing you need to remember. Your Heavenly Father does not feel that way about you. God is perfectly impartial towards you. Deuteronomy 10 says that God is not partial and that he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. In other words, God cares about those in society that society is typically inclined not to. God loves those society. God loves those who in society, society is not inclined to be partial towards in any way. Right? Jesus literally moves towards those who feel rejected. Jesus moves towards those who are outcasted. And in some sense, your rejection, you feeling like an outcast, that's the very thing that draws Jesus to you. Dane Ortland says, when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. When Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. So friend, if you are here and you feel like you are on the receiving end of that, if you feel like an outcast, know that God, Jesus, moves toward you. He moves toward you. He doesn't say, hey, I see you over there. Come over here to me. No, he comes to you. And he says, walk with me. Then for those of us that are on the other end of the spectrum, in that we are people who show a lot of partiality, whether we know it or not, towards a particular person or group of people, we have to remember that it hurts other people and we might not see it. When you consider the effect that partiality has and how it comes at the expense of others, it could be that your partiality is the very thing keeping someone from hearing the gospel. That playing favorites is the very thing keeping someone from hearing the good news. James also makes the point that they didn't just dishonor them, that they illogically honored the very people that were against them. Right? He, they, they honored the very people that would kind of spit back in their face. They honored the very people that would sue them and take their money. They honored the very people that blasphemed the name of Jesus. And now at this point, you could think maybe there's a contradiction here, because doesn't Jesus tell us to honor those who kind of hate us, turn the other cheek, give the man who would sue you your t-shirt also? He does say that, but he doesn't say to do it at the expense of someone else. And he doesn't say to do it with an attitude of self-gain. So partiality is dangerous because it goes against others. The last reason James tells us partiality is wrong or tells us partiality is dangerous is in verses 8 through 13. And admittedly, this is a slightly confusing passage at first. But he's basically making the point that partiality fails to uphold the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And in fact, it's kind of the antithesis of it. And to back that up, he reminds them of the seriousness of sin. In that, if you sin in one particular way, you're held guilty for breaking the whole law. And at first glance, that seems a little unfair, right? How many of us have kind of used that argument before? Well, it could have been worse. I did this one thing, but I could have done a lot worse, right? I didn't go all the way. I didn't do this thing or that thing. But we have to remember when we sin, we aren't sinning against just a book. 
We aren't sinning against a sentence or a command. Right? We're sinning against a holy God. One commentator made some helpful clarifying comments. He said the individual commands of the law are part and parcel of one indivisible whole because they reflect the will of the one lawgiver. To violate a commandment is to disobey God himself and to render a person guilty before him. In other words, we are fully guilty because sin in any way is fully against God. We are fully guilty because sin in any way is fully against God. An imperfect illustration, if I'm faithful to my wife 99.99999% of the time, but one night I'm not, am I a faithful husband or am I unfaithful? James is using this idea of standing under condemnation for the whole law when you break only part of it to remind us that partiality is more dangerous than you think. And James reminds us as he closes this passage and as we close our time today to speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. In other words, speak and act as those who belong to Christ. I love that he uses the term law of liberty. That showed up in James 1 as well basically uses that term to just make the distinction that the freedom Jesus gives you gives you the ability to obey the law. And so it seems kind of counterintuitive, but, but being bound to Christ, being chained to Christ, is the very thing that gives you freedom. That is the very thing that gives you freedom to obey God's word. That is the very thing that gives you freedom and ability to be impartial towards others. And so hear me clearly, and hear this for the rest of the book of James, because it's a lot of do and do nots. You cannot do and do not apart from being bound from Christ in the way that God intends you to. We have to consider what are we really desiring in the moments that we are partial towards someone? Is it comfort? Is it to avoid discomfort? Is it for an unhealthy self-benefit or unhealthy self-gain at the expense of someone else? To walk in your ways... And part of that is not being partial, God. So, Lord, we lift up this area of our lives to you. Help us to see where we're partial. Help us to grow in that. Help us to try these things. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, I'm going to send us out with our benediction. If you want to raise your hands like this uh, to receive this benediction from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal co covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.